Um, how many people have their homework with them? Higher hands. Two people? Okay. <laughs> the longer we go along, the harder it will be if you don't have the homework with you because you're going to need your answers in order to do the workshop. So if you can, catch up. We are going to be meeting um, on the fourth week next month, not the fifth week, because that's Memorial Day weekend, and I have a prior commitment. And that will be our last session. So if you haven't done all the exercises, you need to do them if you actually want to write a life purpose statement. And also, you have a handout today. And there's a set called action steps on that. I need you to go to that page because I need to make a correction. Oh, can, um, where's Tom? Rick, can you hand out the handouts, please? Are you ready? Almost there. We are almost there. Okay. How many have have you have been here through the whole training? You have, and okay, a few of you. Um, for those of you that haven't been here, what we're doing is a life purpose series, which we're calling "Back to Your Future," "Back to the Future," because basically. We're going back through the history of your life to help determine what your life purpose is, what God designed you for and called you to. So by doing a lot of gleaning from your own personal life history, you're able to really determine what your calling is and how you're to reproduce yourself on the earth and be an impact of the, for the kingdom on the earth. We're going to get our screen up. Okay, let's go to the um, the slide after this one. Maybe put it in the middle because the grill is gonna, yeah, can we go down past the air conditioner vent? There we go, that's good. Okay, can everyone see it? Okay, that's good. Okay, this is just a little bit of a review. We have our little messenger here, and I'm going to walk over here to because I don't have my the pointer. So these are the four areas of life purpose. Your design, which is what you're hardwired for. That has to do with your temperament, your gift mix, your talents, your natural skills that are inborn. Uh, may even have to do with your body type. You know, if, if you're real muscular, you can obviously do things that somebody frail can't do, that kind of thing. And part of your assignment was to take your online Myers-Briggs test. So if you have not done that, you need to do that because that's going to give you a lot of information. And it's free, so take advantage of that. So that's what design is. Experience, which is part of what we're going to be talking about today, has to do with what's happened in your history. That has to do with what kind of family you were born into, what number you are in your family, your life experiences, good and bad, all of that comes to the table. Um, and 
sometimes you're not a believer when you've had those experiences, so they have to do with the redemptive value of them later on in life. Then your passions kind of come from a lot of that. Um, some of it is innately born. If God has a, a very specific calling in your life, there are people who are you know, very young as children and just know what they're born to do. That's usually not the majority, but you have a sense from your childhood, which is part of your experience and part of your design of things that you were even innately drawn to. You know, why did you do certain things when you played games? Were you the leader or were you the follower? Um, when you have holidays, are you the one that cleans up or are you the one out there talking to the family? All these things are actually clues of how you're designed and built. And finally, calling um, is something that is beyond yourself and outside yourself. So all those other elements come in and we're able to determine who you're called to or what you're called to beyond yourself. Uh, because we don't live unto ourselves in the kingdom. Did I lose you? Am I there? Okay. All right, so that's just a little review. We'll go to the next slide. And so today we're going to talk about overcoming obstacles and reclaiming the land of your life. And we're going to look at two characters, Joseph and Moses, uh, to look a little bit at their life and what happened to them and how God used that. Um, Joseph is going to be more our example of suffering, long-suffering, and Moses is going to be more our example of desert preparation because both of those things come into play. So the first one, we have Joseph who actually became prime minister. So I'd like some of you to um, participate here. I think everybody knows somewhat the story of Joseph. What kind of sufferings do you think Joseph experienced? Imprisonment. Imprisonment, mm-hmm. Slander, yes. Anything else? Thrown out of the family. Thrown out of the family, so he had rejection, betrayal, abandonment. Remember the story how his father gave him the special coat? So... Um, he was used to having, being the favorite, and suddenly he was not so favorite anymore. Anything else that you can think of? Yeah, and he was actually kidnapped after he was left for dead. Anybody have any other ideas? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He endured. Mm -hmm. Yes. Exactly. He stood his ground, right, when it seemed like all hope was gone, right? And that actually what got him into prison. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... Right. Right. So he's overlooked, forgotten. Uh, right when you think you're having your breakthrough, you got another couple of years to go. <laughs> Can you speak louder? In an identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here he he comes back from having this incredible dream. 
And his dream was both a, a short-term and a long-term dream. If you interpret his dream, you have um, you know, the moon and the stars bowing down to him. So uh, in a short term, it might have looked like that was just his brothers, like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm the guy here in the family. But long term, that really became an entire kingdom having to surrender to his you know, authority, so to speak, because of the opportunities Pharaoh gave him. So that gets into the long suffering of even after you may know, you've identified what you're called to do, Right, And that was clear. God clearly spoke to him. He knew that he was going to be a leader. He knew that he could interpret dreams. But the rest of the family wasn't, weren't so as keen on it as he was. Right, And so he had a 13-year experience uh, in Egypt of believing in himself, but nobody else believing in him. There was nobody around saying, hey, you're, you know, you're a great dream interpreter, right? So he had to stand alone in believing in what God had spoken to him. Um, so some of the gleanings, uh, do you remember from your homework, you went through the gleanings on your L4 doc? Circumstances like beyond your control, this would be an example of a circumstance beyond his control, clearly. Um, what kind of things do you think he learned while he was in that 13-year situation? Trust God, patience. Anybody else? Humility. Let's bring up the next slide, and I, I have a few more things listed here. So in terms of sufferings, he went through family rejection, sibling rivalry, betrayal, hatred. There was a spirit of murder against him from his brothers, abuse, abandonment. He was kidnapped. He was lonely. He had to live among pagans, completely different culture than what he was used to. You know, he loses the love of his father. He was the light in his father's eye, and he had to lose all of that. Um, the jealousy uh, and rivalry of his brothers. Um, he was slandered. There was injustice. Prison. He was forgotten. He basically was in obscurity. So what comes out of that when we have that happen to us? Well, there were a lot of things that God used. That, that was an ordained experience of God, uh, though it might not look like it, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. So these are the kind of gleanings. And we know that Joseph was called to leadership. And the more you're called to being a leader, the more you're called to a broader metron of influence, the more preparation God usually has in your life. So if it seems like how long a Lord, don't be that discouraged because we have people like Moses and Joseph as examples, and there are many others, uh, to tell us why God allows you to endure that long. So some of the gleanings are, he ex have been said, humility and patience. He had to learn the timing of God. You know, you, you get an idea of who you are. You know, now you can go online, you can take your Roman 12 gift test, you can get your Meyer Bridge, you can get all this information, you can go get a prophetic word, and you can almost be sure that if you're starting out in that, that there may be years before you actually walk in the fullness of that. Uh, <laughs> oh, I spell long-suffering wrong. So he was trained in his, his gifting even while he was gone. We know that he had that experience, you know, when he got to Egypt, fine, but it took a long time, right? Um, he had long-suffering, forgiveness. He, had, he actually was entering the land of his anointing, though he didn't know it. So sometimes your de the place that you're sent to that can seem like the greatest desert may actually turn out to be the land of your anointing. So it's learning how to endure 
and, and know, is this where God has sent me or is this warfare? And that becomes, I think, something we really need to learn as believers, especially charismatic believers, because we can tend to turn everything into warfare instead of seeing it as God's hand in our process. So that's a really important thing to always pray and ask the Lord, is this warfare or is this you? And more often it's God than it's warfare, to be honest with you, especially if you're called a leadership and training. Uh, it's not to say that you may not learn tools of warfare in the middle of it, but God doesn't always deliver you out of it. He processes you through it. So, and I think the longer you're a Christian, the the more you learn that that is how God uses things. Um, so he learned meekness there. You know, he was a guy with a big gift, and he was the favorite of his daddy. You know, he was, he was the apple of his father's eye. And maybe that hasn't been your experience, but for some of you that have, though, you have really large gifting, God has to get you to surrender that gifting to him. And later, when he actually uses his gift, what's interesting he says, it's not what I have. This is what God can do through me. And that was because of the meekness that he knew this definitely is my gift, but it's God's gift. Um, he overcame the pride of his being his father's favor and his gifting. He learned mercy and compassion because later we know with his brothers, he had to show that. So even though they're the ones that stuck him in the hole and caused, you know, created the situation where his kidnapping, he was able to extend mercy later. Uh, and I think the longer you suffer, the more you can give mercy. It goes either way. You're either going to be really hard-hearted or you learn how to give mercy to others because you know what it's like to need it. Um, he maintained his faith and integrity before God, as was said. Um, he brought reconciliation eventually to his family. He forgave the debt owed him. He gained wisdom to rule and, and was preparing for the famine. And, he also gained Pharaoh's trust, and I think that had a lot to do with the amount of time. Pharaoh observed Joseph in those 13 years. You know, he didn't go like this. He stayed very true to himself, to his character before the Lord, um, showing the fruits of the Spirit. And eventually, day to day, it may not, you know, you may not get, Pharaoh may not have gotten that revelation immediately in seeing Joseph, but over that long of a time, and then, of course, with using his gift, that combination, Pharaoh knew this was somebody he could trust. And so his calling, all that preparation led him into his calling, which he became prime minister, which was second in command to Pharaoh. And he was a prophet who interpreted dream. Um, the word for um, prophet there is revealer of secrets. That's what well, Pharaoh actually called him. Go backwards or forwards. Yeah, uh, a revealer of secrets. And um, he was a governmental leader, and he basically had a marketplace influence uh, by being sent where he was being sent. Now, it's interesting, if you think about it, that the Lord um, revealed his gift to him, and he gave him the symbols of the moon and the stars, but he didn't really reveal the details. So I, th I think that if you've ever had a word that you really know, you have that inner knowing, which was one of our categories, you know that you know, God has called me this, I know God has spoken to me that this is what I'm called to, you have a general sense of that, but you don't always know where the land of your anointing is going to be. And that often is the problem for a lot of people, because you're trying to find it. And that's why it's really important that you stay in what you know you're true to, 
but you let God develop where you're being sent to. And don't reject necessarily everything you're being sent to, because I think in his culture, you know, being part of the tribe and all that, I don't think he could have even thought that far out of the box. Oh, I'm going to be second in command to Pharaoh. I mean, it would be an impossible thing. It's such a paradigm shift, right? And so I think it even took him 13 years to prepare himself in the culture, to realize how the culture worked. You know, he, he observed some of these things, being un, under Pharaoh for a while with Potiphar. Um, it takes a while to sometimes be prepared for where you're being sent. So it doesn't have to do with the fact that you don't have the gift to be used, but the place God wants to use you may take more preparation than even the gift itself. So that's something to consider as you're identifying you know, your own purpose. So that is basically Joseph. And so now I want to go into Moses. And let's do the same thing. With Moses, we're basically going to be talking about after he left uh, Pharaoh's house. Uh, that's him with his burning bush there. <laughs> um, what kind of things do you think happened with Moses when he, he left? And he was now in the backside of the desert for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He had a different kind of favor. Now he had favor in the culture, right? So this is a little bit different experience. Do you remember when he left that he actually wound up killing one of the Egyptians? So he began also to understand, I've got a purpose here. I have to re-identify with my you know, original culture, but didn't quite know how to do it, right? Didn't, didn't quite know, how am I supposed to do this? So it began to be birthed in his heart, but his means were not there again, right? So again, he's beginning to identify his calling, but his means to walk it out is a whole different deal. And with him, it took 40 years. Any, anything else that anyone can think of? What about gleanings? What, do you, what kind of things did he learn 40 years in the desert? Right. Right. So what's interesting, what do you think is interesting about that? What, what would stand out to you about that? Uh-huh. Right. And what, right, what's interesting to me about that is there are certain things that you get processed through 40 years in a desert, but there are some things that mean stay your weakness even after that. There's something you don't lose. God allows us certain weaknesses, so he is our strength. So it doesn't always mean you overcome every single weakness because we're, we're human. We're always going to have dis, a disposition towards certain things that are our strengths and certain things that are our weaknesses, and yet God gets glory out of those weaknesses. And you know his, his issue with speech was a key one. That's why Aaron came alongside to kind of act as a transition bridge, like, okay, you can do this, but I'm going to send you some help because it's going to take you a while to have the confidence that you can really do this. But eventually, Aaron's out of the picture, right? So sometimes That's right. That's right. And that's something important as you're walking out and determining your own life purpose 
It doesn't mean you dive into it. You might have to have a transition. And you know, things like with John Paul Jackson, a lot of his trainings are excellent because this, that is sort of that Aaron coming alongside, like you think you have a gift maybe in the prophetic or you think you have a gift toward dream interpretation, but you're not quite sure how to do it and I don't think I'm really good at that. That's why those kind of equipping ministries are great because they eventually help you to take off to where you have enough confidence to do it yourself. Okay, let's go to Moses's um, list and look at... Okay, so with Moses, you started out... Whenever you're being called to any form of leadership or oversight of another, your character development is one of your primary things that God's doing, and that's often the thing that can often take the longest time. So he, too, learned patience, humility, meekness, gentleness, long-suffering, and a certain amount of confidence. Um, now, his confidence had more to do with the culture of the desert than maybe his own innate weakness at that point. He overcomes weaknesses and failures, so he's in obscurity too. You know, he's used to Pharaoh's house. He grew up with the you know number one guy, and he has to now be on a backside of a desert. Nobody knows him. Nobody cares that he's really you know Pharaoh's adopted kid. Um, there was hopelessness in terms of you know here, I do want to deliver my people, but I have no means to do it. Look, I tried it. I failed. I mean, this is somebody who murdered somebody. So talk about having to overcome something. He had to overcome a certain amount of fear and a lack of confidence. And one of the key things in desert preparation is survival skills. You have to learn your desert culture. He had to learn the customs and the resources so he could be equipped to lead people out. Now, we may not all be sent to an actual desert, but we are all going to eventually have times where we have spiritual deserts. And they are one of the most important times in your walk. And actually, the more probably you're called to leadership, the more desert you might experience. Because God has to get you less dependent on your re external resources and more on the internal resources. Because you're going to have to lead other people out of their deserts. And that's exactly what he had to be trained to do. How do I get other people out of a desert? And he had to be stronger than the people he was leading out. Because he knew, I know we can overcome this. I know we can walk through this part of the desert. He didn't know going in that the 11-day journey was turning into 40 years. But um, he was equipped enough to deal with 40 years. So a lot of times what you think might be, well, it's going to be a short-term thing. And actually, it could take a lot longer because of the people you are leading out of the desert than because you know how to get out of the desert. <laughs> so, And he had to have a complete mindset. Uh, change. He had to have a complete culture paradigm shift from Pharaoh's house to God's kingdom. And that is what he had to begin to help the people make a paradigm shift to. The difference was, you know, he came from the place of the, of the throne with Pharaoh. They came more out of the slavery. They had a slavery mindset, which involved scarcity, lack, but at the same time, they were very dependent on the meagerness of the resources provided. They still had to have somebody hand their food to them every day so that they could keep chipping away at the blocks or whatever else they were doing for Pharaoh. And now when they are independent of that provision, as bad as it was, um, for them, in their mind, it was better than the manna that God gave them every day. And so now they're begging for whatever it was, and now instead God gives them quail, which eventually made them sick. 
Um, so that whole provision to provider transference of dependence on God had to begin to happen in the people. And he really had to develop his relationship with God. He had to rekindle his own purpose. And a lot of times God will put you in a desert even for that. You know, it's like in Hosea where he says, you know, come alongside here, I want to take you to a desert place. Um, and he wants to woo you in a desert place often. So deserts are really wonderful places spiritually if you let them be. And that's, I think, a lot more the tradition of um, the ascetics and maybe the Greek Orthodox Church and some of the Roman Catholic Church. It's not as much an ascetic in the charismatic church, but I think it needs to be because you do not, it's great to have the buzz and all the things that we have in, in renewal and revival and all those things, but you're never going to really develop your personal walk with God unless you experience some desert time because that's the only place you find him. And that's where you incarnate him the most. When there is lack in your own life, you've either got to make God your resource or you are going to stay you know, completely dependent on others to provide that for you. So he learned also to recognize God's voice, and he had his moment come where he saw that burning bush, and he was able to recognize the Lord and be sent, sent back in. So um, basically, these are the kinds of things of kind of preparation we experience through sufferings. And you know, we have different kinds of sufferings, but in general, um, suffering creates a passion for change. You know, sometimes what you've walked through you don't want to see somebody else have to go through. If you've had abuse in your life, or maybe you've gone through you know, being dependent on drugs or an alcoholic or whatever, and you come out of it and God takes you out of it, that often bursts that kind of passion that we looked at earlier in our messenger. You have a passion to see that others not have to go through it as long as you went through it. Um, it tends to create a sense of injustice. Um, that's where you kind of get on a soapbox about things. Um, you will fight for others and want to prevent the same issue being repeated. And it will also create compassion and draw you to other people's needs. It also qualifies you to speak into other people. It basically gives you what I call experiential capital. So if you've ever gone to a 12-step program, the guy that started that went through his own walking out of his own addiction. And that's what most 12-step programs are. There's somebody who actually already had something incarnated in them, especially faith-based ones, um, and they can help walk you out and see you through. So you're coming out of your, your desert of you know, spiritual lack. Um, we also gain special peace, grace, and wisdom in the midst of our trials that help others to endure, and it strengthens our faith and trust in God. And the, you know, the little picture I have up there is breaking the matzah cracker. Basically, your trials, your sufferings are what make you bread to other people. You become broken bread for other people to eat. And God allows these things um, so that we can become that bread and we can sustain others. So I just want to touch base on this one scripture before we do the workshop questions. Um, Tom, you want to read that? Can you yell?
So this comes out of the story of Joseph. Joseph at the end, I think you've all heard God meant it for good. We've claimed that scripture a lot. Um, recently, our former pastor taught a little on the word meant. It's really interesting because that Hebrew word meant there actually means to fabricate or weave. And what it refers back to is that when they were making carpets in the old days, uh, and you know they probably still do, but they you know they were doing it by hand. And some weavers weren't as skilled as others, and they would drop stitches. And because of that, the rugs weren't worth as much money. But they had a certain person who was very skilled at a carpeting that could go back in and put that stitch back in to get more money and sell the carpet for more money. So basically, all these sufferings that we've experienced, um, desert experience, things that feel like wasted years or wasted time or why the heck did that happen and what could come out of that, these are the God meant it for good. He actually is able to redeem it and put that stitch back in as if you were a carpet um, being sold. And there's way more value than you ever thought there could be in your life. God reweaves value back in by drawing out these gleanings that we look at. And we have to see it from that side of it. How can it be meant for good? We can't sit and wallow in self-pity about it. We can't go back and change a lot of it. But we can get redemptive value out of it. So that's a little bit of what the workshop questions are going to be today. Um, okay, so what I need you to do is get with one other person today because, because of time. Um, I want to be able to try to get through these, these questions. So... Find somebody, if you're married, it would be better if you'd find somebody else or, you know, you're with your best friend. And if you three of you want to be together, that, you know, that, that's fine, whatever you need to do. But get with one other person and we're going to go through these questions. And if you don't have your homework, okay, the, the questions come out of the L4 doc, circumstances beyond your control that you listed. If you don't have homework with you, think of a circumstance either growing up or later in life that was beyond your control, where either you suffered a lot or a trauma or something God's already brought you through, not one you're currently going through, but something God's already brought you through. And we're going to go through these questions. So um, we're going to look at what areas of need did this cause you to become sensitized to? And then what is your experiential capital from this? What have you gained that would actually be useful to others? This gets into... If you, you know, went through a desert experience, what particular thing about God was incarnated in your life? Maybe you stood on one scripture for 10 years. You know, maybe you um, found a place in God or peace or, you know, however the Lord took you through that journey so that you got back up and stood. That is something that becomes reproductive in nature to others. It's what helps you to raise somebody else up, you know. Um, also, what core values came out of it? And so I want you to look at the screen for a second because um, I'm just going to briefly talk about what values are because it's a whole other seminar. But values are enduring, passionate, motivating, important, distinctive core beliefs by which we measure our goals and priorities. Values are why we do what we do. They function as autopilot plumb lines. They determine where we invest our time, resources, and they can often be the deal breakers in your decision making. So... 
For example, you know, when I was growing up in high school, everybody was on the picket line about the Vietnam War. I mean, they felt it was unjust, unfair, and you're willing to put everything else on a back burner and stand for that cause. You know, Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, they had these causes, Robert Kennedy, they had clear causes for social justice, and they were willing to spend their lives for that. That's the kind of thing that values are. And if, for example, you were going to go for a job um, and you found out that there was prejudice in that job and that kind of social justice issue was a core value, you're not going to want to take that job because it goes against your core values. So that's kind of the idea behind your values. And often our experiences begin to shape our values. Some are innate, but some become developed because we've suffered an injustice or something like that. Then we're going to talk about where, you're going to talk among yourselves about where do you think you have a voice that would have the most impact in the future as a result of that experience? Where do you have that relational capital because of what you went through? Or where do you find you have favor to speak in? These are I, the kinds of gleanings and glimmers of your calling. You know, who, who is God sending you to speak to? Um, and how ultimately, how has God meant it for good in your own life? And how does this ultimately impact your life purpose? So just get with one other person, because that's a lot of questions to cover. We'll go, you know, have you go through as many as possible. Try to just take a few minutes on each one, not a long dialogue, but begin to think about that experience. And that will be today's workshop. And then the homework that you have has more questions along this line. Um, and all the questions are basically meant to just give you a springboard for thinking, okay, how do I look at this circumstance in a different way than maybe I have? Or how do I glean more out of it than I have in the past? And if it's easier for you to diagram it rather than write it, do what works for you. Um, but ultimately go through all the assignments, and I think they're online. I think they're taking care of that online if you haven't done them yet, because you won't be able to draft it next month unless you, you fill all that out. Okay, that's it.